Well, I do have my green on. I am celebrating the Irish holiday of St. Paddy's Day, but I am Scottish. And it's amazing, you know, American people on their holiday, the 4th of July, they eat like hot dogs and hamburgers. That's cool. Uh, Irish people said, ah, let's eat cabbage. <laughs> and it's as if the Scottish people, you know, they, they are, oh, let's do something more disgusting than cabbage. Let's do haggis, <laughs> which is uh, a cooked up sheet's cheap stomach. And uh, you got to be kidding me, but that's what they do, and uh, I don't enjoy that at all. But it is good to uh, be with you. I bring you greetings from our venues, multi-sites, all the hinterland out there. Here we are back here. Some people always ask me, what's it like? What's it like being at the multi-site? We like seeing a live person up front. And what's it like when you're kind of streaming the message? And I'll show you what it's like. Jamie's up front and pretend I'm the screen. What happens is Jamie will start That's what it's like. And uh, that's what streaming sermon. No, I'm just kidding. Nick and his crew are really upset right now because, you know, when that happens on the multi-sites, they flip to the Saturday backup. And so they all just did that right now. And so uh, they're not following us. No, it's been great over at Mountain Valley, and, and we joke about it. And it's not the shortest line, as Joe said, but there's a, a, just a lot of space for people. We invite you to come over there, check it out uh, when you can during this time that the, the season, uh, uh, this service or this worship center kind of wraps up. And the, our multi-sites, it is amazing. Uh, Mountain Valley, hopefully you're tuning in right now. It's just us. Just pretend it's just us. Nobody else. Right here. Sit down. Mary Lee, sit down. I can see you guys. No, I'm just kidding you. But they're there, they're watching, and uh, it's a lot of fun to be part of our multi-sites. You know what's really cool is that people actually are tuning in online, too. My parents, they, they have the Ontario Canada multi-site. Uh, they tune in as well. And I keep reminding them, you know, you may not come here, but we, you still got to send your offering money in, you know? Come on. Uh, my son is actually in, uh, I've shared this before, he's in the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Isn't that cool? That's pretty awesome. See, Jesse, you're listening right now, and they just clapped for you. That's pretty cool. He went through a time they called just recognition this week in wild time. He's formally accepted as one of their classmen. It's great. And he's tuning in at our Scottsdale Bible Church, uh, United States Air Force Academy campus. And again, he won't send money in because he doesn't have money as well. Well, it is really, truly great to be here. And I kind of tell you, this series that we've been doing on attitude has been amazing. My wife, Karen, and I have had some incredible conversations about how do you apply that attitude to our lives. Uh, Jamie talked about justice, righting the wrongs in our world, and forgiving people. And that stimulated conversation for Karen and I where Karen actually said, I'm going to look into a ministry outside of what I do at church so that I can right wrongs. And for her, it was the area of children. Uh, we've been taught how to be non-reactionary thinkers, how to be pure, and all those thoughts. In fact, you know, we said that verse so many times. I thought there was a prize for that, like a t-shirt or something, because I memorized the whole thing, but I never got anything, and neither did you. But it was good for us to meditate on that verse for some nine or ten weeks. Just incredible time, and if you didn't get anything out of that series, uh, you're really missing the point of, of the Christian life. And as Jamie and last week Daryl kind of wrapped things up for us, and I was meditating and thinking about the messages they shared, they would circle back 
to one issue or one word over and over and over again, and that was that idea that the Christian life is all about relationships. It's all about how we relate to one another. And if you haven't figured it out, it's how we relate first of all to God, isn't it? It's how we relate to even ourselves. How do we relate to who we are when we recognize our fallen nature? Then how do we relate to Christ? How do we relate to God's son who gave his life for us? How do we relate to one another? How do we relate to this world? We are wired 100% to be relatable, to be relational. We use words like community and small group and connection. I, I wanna focus on a word that's probably a little overused in the business community, and that's that idea of networking. And, and you know why I like that word? Because network has the idea of connectivity that everything in your life is somehow connected in such a way that you are working and thriving at maximum potential. I love the word network, and I wanna camp on that in the few minutes that we share together this morning. And if you brought a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it right about to the middle, to the book of Psalms. And I wanna go to the very first Psalm in this songbook, Psalm chapter one. And starting it, it all off, it's great when it comes to networking that God gave us the very first and fundamental networking word in how we relate to him and is that we get to call him Father. We get to call him Abba, which means Daddy. It's a very intimate word. God is not, after all, our CEO as many of us relate to him as being. He's not our boss. He's not a dictator. He's not somebody who's a controller. He's not a cosmic consultant. He is our daddy. We have an intimate relationship with him. And I realize that when we use that networking term or that community term of father, that some of you say, well, you don't understand. My relationship to my earthly father was horrible. And we do, in a sense, lay that over to our relationship to God. And God said, let me show you what transformation is all about. In this fallen world, you're gonna have tough relationships, but in your relationship to me, as you surrender to me, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna show you, you're gonna experience all that I have to offer you. It's all about renewal. It's all about transformation in our lives. And so it starts with God, doesn't it? And the other relationship is it, it goes on with Jesus. What we do with Jesus hinges on everything here in our lives. You know, at Scottsdale Bible Church, some people walk in here and they say, this is huge, this is overwhelming. There is so much going on here. There's so many moving parts. But I wanna tell you, as you look at your bulletin, as you look at the website, as you wander around this campus and you see our various venues, you see the ministries that are going on, Every one of our ministries at Scottsdale Bible Church, you know what they're designed to do? To help you network. Every ministry we have is designed to help you build an infrastructure in your life so that you can thrive spiritually, so that you can fulfill the redemptive potential that God has for your life. That's what it is. Everything is wired that way. We have small groups. Joe was up here as our pastor of small groups. He invests and pours his, his, his sweat and his tears into helping you get into a smaller place where you can be known, a safe place, and you can know others. We have age ministries from little babies to, to children on up to 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I actually get to lead the oldest group in our church called Hardy Souls, and it's a big secret, so we're not telling you about it because we have fun there. 
but it's all about helping us network from the cradle to the grave. We have uh, special needs ministries, financial ministries, marriage ministries, and it goes on and on. The reason I said yes when Scottsdale Bible asked me to come was really because of the incredible infrastructure, the incredible opportunities that you and I have to build that into our own lives. It's incredible. And so I want to start off this morning as we go through these six short verses asking you one question. I want you to think about this. What's your network? Who or what influences you the most in your life? Think about that for a minute. What are the influencers in your life? Television? Your job? Who are the people? Think of specific names. What kind of people are there? How do you build a network around you that's gonna influence you in the right way? Are you the kind of friend that people would want to have in their network? Or are you somebody that is a taker? Are you a consumer? Are you somebody that just sort of affects relationships in a negative way and people tolerate you? How do we build a network of friends so that we can live our lives to the full? Well, Psalm 1 talked about networking long before businesses began leveraging it to sell stuff. And this first song, I think it's amazing. When I was thinking about our series on attitude, I thought, how can we link this uh, in our own personal lives? And this very first Psalm, there's 150 of them, and you gotta pay attention to the first one because it sets up every other book. It's a, it's a poetry book, right? It's a song book. Now I just lost all the men. They're like, I don't wanna listen to a poetry book, right? I don't wanna read a poem or anything like that. Well, let me tell you, Daryl quoted from a really quirky song last week and you didn't laugh at him. And he looked at you and I quote, he said, Daryl said, I'm not on weed, right? And so, but before you write out these psalms, you know that 73 of these 150 songs were actually written by a guy who killed a bear, a lion, killed a giant. He was the warrior King David. If anybody was cool or hip or had it together or was a man after God's own heart, King David did. And I think everything hinges off these first lyrics in the book of Psalm. And it starts with this. Look at Psalm 1, verse 1. It starts with the word blessed. Blessed. We get that, it comes from that Hebrew word ashur, which is actually the plural form of blessed. It's the idea that if you want to have an ongoing, fulfilling life, pay attention to what's next. And so when I see that word blessed, I, I want to really take note of what's to follow, that this is what you need to do. It's a father telling us, I want you to have a life of contentment. I want you to enjoy life that I've given you that's deeper than just mere happiness that's always dictated by external circumstance. God is saying, if you want to have contentment, then let me tell you about a process of how this happens. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression there, I hope you see it. God's saying, in effect, it's my desire for you to have a great life. Now let me show you what that looks like. You know, I've been a pastor for going on 27 years. I know I only look like I'm 27 years old, and uh, don't laugh at that. And uh, I was actually playing hockey last, I still try to play hockey just to stay in shape, and I was on the, the bench last Thursday night, and I thought I looked like I was about 25, and I said to some guy, I said, man, I'm just losing my edge. He goes, yeah, well, you're an old guy. What are you, like 45 or something like that? And <laughs> it's happening. Now I totally forget where I was. I'm just gonna glitch for a minute, Susan. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I meet people all the time who, who sit right where you're sitting, who come into my office and they say, I, I, I don't get it. I feel like I go to church, I, I've committed my life to Christ, but I feel like I'm going nowhere. Have you been there? 
I feel like I'm just stuck in this, in this treadmill that's getting nowhere. I mean, we desire to have everything that's talked about. We want peace. We want joy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Not, not talking about eternal life, but in this life and life more abundantly. I get it. I want that. And the Bible gives us the pathway to that. But let me tell you what confounds me so often as a pastor is that we say we want this, but the first thing we do is reject this. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, even I do this. When I have a problem in my life, I try to solve it every other way. I try to solve it on my own. I try to talk to people. I try to work it all out. And maybe as a last resort, I finally drop to my knees and say, God, help me. I can't do this. And then God says, I've been telling you all along how to do that. That's what this psalm is all about. And I have never seen a person who has dedicated themselves to the discipline of studying God's word, not for the head knowledge of it, as many of us do, but so that I might understand more about God so that I can activate that faith through the power of his spirit in how I do life. I've never seen anybody who's done that who's not been disappointed, who doesn't walk around with a certain contentment. Doesn't mean they deny pain, doesn't mean they're in this weird place of happy all the time, but they know how to navigate through the difficulties. They know how to celebrate God's blessing in their life and to walk through hardship when it comes. And right out of the gate, God says, I wanna show you how this works. And it has to do with building a right network. And so in your outline there, it says a downside of a bad network. And I think we all need to understand as we assess our own network, our own um, infrastructure of our lives, we need to ask ourselves, are there people in our lives that we're getting the wrong influence from? And it says, you know, why some friends bring us down? Number one, why some people bring us down is that they give us bad advice. They simply give us bad advice. We look at this verse and it says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and we say, I'm not doing that. It's as if we're picturing somebody with green eyes and a pointy hat looking at us, and we say, well, that's wicked. But let me tell you what wicked means. That word in Hebrew simply means ungodly. And so this is really about godly advice versus worldly or ungodly advice. Now think about this for a minute. What is worldly advice? You say, I, I don't know, I, what do you think about it? It is, I mean, this, we have a lot of cultural influences that influence even the church. Things like this, is it okay to cheat? You'd say, no, not at all, but culture says, yeah, it is okay to cheat. Finish this sentence. It's okay to cheat, just don't, cheaters, right? <laughs> just don't get caught. We're like, oh, taxes are coming up. Why do we have to have this sermon now? But our culture says that. It's okay to cheat. Just don't get caught. Let's think about morality for a second. That's a huge thing, right? It's okay to have sex with anyone, anytime, anywhere. Our culture says that. Just be safe. Just be safe when you're doing it. And if you get pregnant you don't want to, we can hit the easy button. Just get an abortion. That's what our culture says. And we look at that and we welcome it and we try to move towards getting it put in place legally because we want the easy button. Let's think about things like alcohol. You know, the, our culture says it's okay to get drunk. Drink all you want. Just don't drive while you get drunk, right? So we have all this worldly wisdom. It's okay to live together with someone of the opposite sex in the covenant bounds of outside the covenant bounds of marrying. In fact, you don't want to marry. Marriage doesn't work, our culture says. Look at the statistics. Why would you ever want to get married? It's broken. But hey, if you happen to be, we're going to make divorce real easy for you. The easy button out there. Worldly wisdom. Live your way. There is no absolute truth. There's no law that should govern your thoughts and your actions. Look out for number one because you know what? No one else is. That's worldly wisdom. And that's just a little snippet, and I'm sure you agree. And all this is, is interesting. And you know what the horrifying thought is? I like that stuff. Now, before you throw me out as a heretic, just think about your own life. 
Wouldn't that be easy if we just did whatever we wanted with no consequence? I like the way that fits into the way that I want to live, but the Bible says, no, that's wicked. That's ungodly. And so when you go through life and you're seeking to get advice from people, you ever stop to think about where that advice is coming from? You ever stop to think about that? You know, the title of the message here is you are who you you run with, you are who you hang out with, and I think it's true. I never thought about it much as I was young and growing up. I could recover pretty fast. I was kind of my own guy, and we talked about peer pressure, but as I've gotten older, I realize the people that I surround myself with has become so critical in my life. Consider the source of advice in your life, even from well-meaning people. Good people can give us bad advice. And here's the problem with getting bad advice, and it's the second point in your outline, they encourage us, or bad friends encourage us to make bad decisions. You ever notice that? If you're taking bad advice, it's gonna lead to bad behavior. Obviously, it's that saying, you hang out with the skunks, you're gonna start to smell like one. It's, some of you never heard that before? <laughs> Write that down, that was the sermon, that was really good. <laughs> Neil Montgomery said that. But it's those people who come alongside of you and they say, oh wow, you're in such a hard spot, I get it, I see what's going on in your life. That is tough, you have gotta get out of that relationship or that neighbor is driving you crazy. You know what, sue the pants off that guy. That's what those friends do. And when people give us bad, bad advice, it leads to a series of bad decisions. You know what it ultimately does? The accumulation of all of that causes us to lower our standards. It really does. And we don't even notice it. That's why this psalm is good. That's why it's good for us to come together weekly to remember. So it's good for us to take communion together, to remember why we're here and whose life we are living for. And we come together and, and we see what happens. Open up our eyes. You know, look at this world. And, and God has a standard of virtue for us, doesn't he? God has a standard. What's God's standard for us? Anybody know what that is? It's like, we're gonna sit here till you answer that right now. No. <laughs> yeah, it's Christ, right? He says, be holy as I am holy. It's perfection, none of us can attain to that. So God says, you know, Christ died to positionally put you in a spot where you are declared holy. You're never gonna be able to do it on your own, so I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit in a fallen world to help you be able to move toward wholeness to perfection, but I'm never gonna change my standard. We don't have to be discouraged, we're just reminded that we need to come back to God. Every day, take up your cross, every day, remember, I can't do this alone. And one day, it's all gonna be gone. He's gonna wipe away every tear, all that sin, all that fallenness, it's gonna be removed. And we're gonna stand before him in glory. But here's what culture does. They look at the moral line and they realize we can't get there. You know what they do, and this is really cool, they just say, hey, guess what? We can move the line. They put it down here, look, we're all moral again. That's what culture does. And when we get bad advice, it leads to bad decisions, and we lower our standards, all of a sudden we become just like that. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13, he said, enter by that narrow gate. Not many of you are gonna choose to follow the way that I show. He says, for the easy button, or that's my version, but for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. It looks so good, doesn't it? Everybody else is going that way. It's the majority votes, let's go this way. And God says, no, not so. Enter by the narrow gate. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so if you're getting advice from people that doesn't come from God or from its word, 
it's gonna corrupt your behavior. It's gonna impact your character. And Psalm 1 says here, don't walk, don't stand, don't sit in bad advice. You're gonna end up sitting in a place with people who simply mock God. And more than that, you'll start to be content there. You'll start to be kind of happy. You'll actually feel justified. You'll feel right. And from that seat, you'll be able to justify every action in your life. It's a natural progression. And think about your life today. Don't elbow the person next to you because we can even put a spiritual spin on it. Pastors are the worst because we tend to know a little bit more about our Bible and the danger is we can spiritualize things that sometimes are very self-absorbed, sometimes are not godly, but we want the easy button in our lives. People say, I've talked to a lot of people about this. We've prayed about it. I had a couple that I was working with in the church. I came from in Northern California. We're praying together. They're struggling in the relationship. We're beginning to work on navigating a way back to oneness. And uh, the wife, she decided she was going to go away to a big prayer conference somewhere, you know, a few hundred miles away for a week. And she came back from that prayer conference. She looked at me, and I kid you not, she said, God gave me an answer. He told me that I need to get out of this marriage. And like, you know, the Bible says that when you're married, it's a covenant made before God publicly for life. It's a picture of Christ's unconditional love to his church, and we live it out by the way that we do marriage. I don't believe God told you that, but somebody said that. And we justify our actions based on the feelings and opinions of other people, and we can sometimes spiritualize it. As long as you listen to bad advice, Denying what Paul said in Philippians 4.8 about thinking rightly, thinking about the things, it won't be long until we begin to justify ungodly actions. Look back at Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, and so we've read this first passage. It blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You know, there are gonna be tough times in your life. We all have them. But what this passage is encouraging us to do is to get roots that are so deep so that when the hard times come, you stand firm. You're gonna be secure. Your life has purpose. It has direction when everyone else around you might be flailing in the desert. He uses the word meditate. That word in its definition has this picture of a a cow chewing its cud, which I know sounds gross. He says meditate day and night on whatever's coming in, in the word, what you hear on a Sunday morning and what you hear in your small group. Chew on that. Ask yourself, is this godly advice? When it comes to Psalm chapter one, ask yourself, God, how do I become that person? How do I become that person that's planted firmly like this tree that is described, to be a person whose life counts for something, has purpose and contentment and fulfillment? And God tells us that it begins with the advice that you're taking in in your life. It's gonna lead to two paths. One is a godly path, the other one is this. In verse four it says, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. You know what the chaff is, right? It's the the howls on the seed that when they throw it up in the air, the wind blows away all the useless parts of the seed. And the psalmist says that's what you're gonna be like when you take ungodly advice, when you sit in the seat of scoffers. Verse five says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 149 other psalms will feed off of this one psalm. It's the advice that's critical to everything. 
You see, God has given human beings this incredible, wonderful joy of making choices. We call it free will, right? We can make whatever choice that we want to make. They're not always good choices, and I'm glad that God has rigged this world that when we make selfish choices, they don't work. And the sooner that they don't work, the better, because then we can fall to our knees, surrender, and get back on God's track. But when it comes to choices, therefore, this this awesome power of free will, it stands to reason that the people we get advice from is critical in our lives. Two paths, God's path. It seems so crazy, seems like it goes against the grain of culture even more today than ever. Or the world's path, that seems so easy. It seems to promise such great reward, but, but the psalmist says you'll become like chaff, good for nothing but to be blown away. You'll take a seat in the church even but you won't be used by God because your feet are in the wrong soil. And so in the few minutes that we have left together, I wanna talk about three important network questions. As you develop those relationships around you, what is really important? It may sound elementary at first, but I think you'll find that it's profoundly deep as we do an assessment on our own networking. And that first one is this, who do I get my advice from? Who do you get your advice from? Think about this. Another way of saying this is who do you share your struggles with? See, if you're like me, when hard times come, I don't like to bottle it all up. I want to vent a little bit. Aren't you like that? Don't you like to find somebody, maybe someone who's closest by, just to unload, just to share what's going on? And so we find people who will listen to us. Maybe it's the grumbling in the office about what's going on in our environment. Maybe it's complaining about your spouse to somebody in Starbucks. They might commiserate with you, but do they offer you wise counsel? And this leads to an important second question, and that is, Who do I look to for approval of my choices? Who do I look to for approval of my choices? When you make financial decisions, who do you look to? Business decisions, marriage decisions about a hard time that you might be going through, how we raise our kids, all of those things. Who is it that we're looking to for the approval of our choices? See, we live in a day and age, and it's getting more and more accessible, and that is whatever you choose to do in your life, you can find a group of people who will not only empathize with you, but they will applaud you. In fact, you can go online, and for whatever weird off-branch, weird advice direction you're going, you could probably find a support group who will actually validate your decisions and make you feel like you're okay. And God says at the start, this foundation to right thinking, this foundation to your life, it's so critically important that you build that infrastructure You see, five degrees off may not seem much at the beginning of your journey, but at the destination, you'll be thousands of miles from where you intend to be. God says, get it right, come back to this. If we understand this, most of us say, I get it. But let me ask you a question, why is it so hard to share our struggles with the right people, godly people? And I think it's because your reason is probably the same as mine. I think it's because of shame. I don't want to share my deepest struggles with people who might speak truth into my life, people who I know are godly people because I'm afraid I might be found out. And I'm trying to protect with all these layers who I might really am so that people can think I'm something that I'm probably not. And so we play it safe. We go to people who agree with us. We avoid people who will tell us the truth. And so many of our lives have been stifled and will never reach our potential because we sit there and we're afraid and we try to placate it by playing church, coming, doing religious things, but we're really driven by our fear. Author Larry Crabb would call those core terrors. The things that you fear the most will drive every decision that you make in your life. And so we play it safe. I love sports but I was always the short, 
redheaded guy that was always picked last for teams. So you can feel sorry for me. You know, and so I, so I determined that I was gonna play with people that I was better than, and then God gave me three boys, Karen and I, three boys. And when they got old enough to play, I put a hockey stick in their hand and said, we're gonna play hockey, and we'd go outside on our street and we'd gather all the boys around the neighborhood. Boys that were about 25 years younger than me. Played street hockey. Guess who was the leading goal scorer? Me. <laughs> Guess who was the best player those kids thought was awesome? Me. I was the best. They were kids that were 20 years younger than me, but I was, it was playing it safe. I loved playing hockey with those guys because I would win every time. And I think it's so much, I think it's so much the way we handle our spiritual life. I just want to hang out with people who are in the pit with me. I want to hang out with people who, who think I'm better than or worse off, and then I can feel better about my own life. And do you see how crazy that is? We'll never get better. I never made it to the NHL because I said, but, but I was in the league with seven-year-olds I played it. <laughs> it's not good enough. Crazy, isn't it? It is. And the only thing that these people can do in that pit is they can just say, keep going. Patch on the back. Good for you. And we call that friendship. But if I could ever get to the place where I could open up with people who would speak the truth into my life, I, I might actually begin to make progress. I might be able to go from milk to meat, as Paul says. And if I were humble and I would listen to them, I might see my life begin to change as I see God's spirit working through them that could possibly work through mine. Remember, everybody who's in a godly place, it's maturity, it's a journey, learned behavior. They weren't always there. And so what surprises you that when you go to people who are on that track and seem to be more down the road than you are, you're gonna find people who are gonna say, I've been there, I've been where you are. I've struggled with the things that you struggled with. The my story we saw today, some of you may be identified. Some of you said, I don't identify with that. But you know what my wife and I have done, and again, it's great. We've gone onto the archives of the website and looked at all the my stories. And you can spend a half hour, an hour, and by the time we spend 20 or 30 minutes into that, oftentimes there are tears streaming down our face and we see the struggle that people are going through and how despite all of that, that God has intervened in their lives and though he hasn't solved everything from their perspective yet, their faith is intact and they are growing and that inspires me and I wanna hang out with people like that in my life. And instead we gravitate to things that are so easy and God says in Psalm 1, don't go there. You'll continually be affirmed for crazy choices you make in your life and look where it's getting you. You know, there's a third question we ask when it comes to building our network, and it's this, what is my ultimate guide? Is it the world or is it the word? Where are you looking to find approval for your life? You'll find people who agree with anything you desire and you wanna carry out, and God says let the first song in this book of poetry be all about the foundation of your life. God is saying, let me tell you what is at stake here. Let me talk to you about two paths that will have drastic consequence in our lives. And we're exhorted to take God's advice regardless of feelings. And now we listen to all of this and our tendency might be able to go to one of two extremes in our lives. We need to be careful to avoid these. And the first extreme we need to be careful to avoid is this idea that I can't be friends with the world. Some of you may hear that this morning. Boy, I need to isolate. I need to get out of the way of the world. And when Jesus, I mean, James said it in James 4 when he said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, and so we isolate. 
We circle the wagons of our heart. We have only Christian friends. We go to only Christian things. And I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying. I don't think that's what James meant. In fact, that verse is not about being in the world. It's about the approval of an ungodly lifestyle. If you approve of an ungodly lifestyle, you have no business being on the Christian journey. And so what do you do with all the passages? They talk about loving one another, showing people what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ because we're not called to isolate from the world in living in fear that the world might rub off on us. You know that we're called to rub off on the world. That's what we're called to do. And so it's imperative that we get the foundation of our life in the right place. It is imperative that we build an infrastructure, a network of people that will help us work together to be salt and light to a dying world that needs to see that desperately. Now when we have sin in our lives and we're fumbling all over the place, I think there's a time to isolate. I think there's a time to incubate. I think there's a time to heal. I think there's a time to get help as you build that infrastructure, but it's for the purposes of going out into the world and rubbing off on them. Some of you here might go to another extreme where you said, okay, I'm gonna go rub off on the world as if you wanna justify your sinful and bad decisions. Hey, Jesus hung out with tax gatherers and sinners. He hung out with the party crowd, why not me? And it's usually given by those of you who say you're trying to justify bad behavior, and that's another extreme to avoid. You see, Jesus did, and you might wanna jot down Mark 2, 15, that's where he did. It said that he went and he hung out with tax gatherers and sinners, the dregs of society, but it was to reach them because they knew their place. And in verse 17, he says, those who are uh, well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick, they don't need a doctor. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And some of you sit there and go, well, what do you mean? He didn't come to call me, I'm righteous. Well, you don't need God if you think you're righteous. And here's the truth of that. There's none righteous. Every single one of us, as we sat around this Lord's Supper in Mountain Valley, they're gonna be taking communion here in a moment. We had to remember that we were there. That God came down to the mud, the mire, the pit, and the clay and picked us up cleansed us and washed us with his blood and made us white as snow. As we go into this world, I, I, I wanna just sum it up with one phrase. It may sound, again, a little shallow, but I think it's profoundly deep, and that's be friendly to everyone, but choose wisely who you're friends with. That, in essence, is how we live our lives, to build an infrastructure around us that will help sustain our lives in such a way that we can be what God called us to be to a dark and dying and falling world because God knew that we're gonna be surrounded by a multitude of people and resources. It's all over the place. Some of you are gonna leave here and you're gonna hit that computer and you're gonna hit that Google button and you're gonna look at all a myriad of information about your choices and we just, I just ca- caution you to consider the source that you're looking at, to bring it back to the foundation and say, God, I wanna be used by you. I want you to fill me in such a way that I have a life that's not stuck but just moving and thriving and impacting the world. Just like Tim's story, my story, is all about your story coursing through me. And as we do that, let me uh, send us out of here with a word of prayer. Father, as we uh, think about our own lives, and that's how we're wired, we're wired to relate, but we're wired to think about how our lives impact this world. And and God, I pray that you'd help us, because we are helpless. We're more like the dregs of the society than we are about the righteous people. And Lord, it's only through you that we can be righteous. And so I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd encourage us. I pray for those that are here this morning that are feeling that way, they're feeling so stuck, that they would get a word of hope, 
that they would feel encouraged and inspired. I pray for those uh, that are here that have never made a decision to invite you into the core of their lives, the foundation of their lives, that that message would come through loud and clear, that your spirit would move in our church, first of all, in us as individuals, and that the light of Scottsdale Bible Church would burn so brightly that people would see this hospital, this refuge as a place to come, to come as they are, and be changed by the power of your spirit, and be part of a network that will affect and infect the world. And we'll praise you for what you'll do in your son's name. Amen. Have a good morning.